Welcome to Cybercast, decoding today's cybersecurity issues. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Today, we are going to hear from Rocky Thurston, Senior Vice President and General Manager for the Civilian, State, and Local Group at Prospecta, and Seth Story, Quality Assurance Manager at Ardent MC about what the new cybersecurity maturity model certification standards mean for DHS contractors. Cyber attacks have only skyrocketed since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic earlier this year. Protecting our nation's critical infrastructure is more important than ever. DOD describes the CMMC standards as a, quote, unifying standard for the implementation of cybersecurity across the defense industrial base, unquote. DOD says the standards provide a, quote, comprehensive and scalable certification element to verify the implementation of processes and practices associated with the achievement of a cybersecurity maturity level. DOD says, CMMC is designed to provide increased assurance to the department that a defense industrial based company can adequately protect sensitive, unclassified information, accounting for information flow down to subcontractors and a multi tier supply chain. Unquote. The DOD current interim rule implementing the standards went into effect on December 1, 2020. Today, Rocky and Seth are going to discuss how DHS and DOD contractors can prepare for the new CMMC requirements, how expensive CMMC certification will be, and how this will change federal contracting forever. Rocky and Seth, welcome to Cybercast. So for our first question today, I was hoping that you could tell me a little bit about your contract work with DHS and DOD and kind of delve into some of the security concerns that you deal with. Yeah, so I oversee our what we call civilian state and local business within Prospecta, which has a sizable portfolio at the Department of Homeland Security across most major components. In large part, that kind of centers around one of the data centers that DHS uses and the support of the infrastructure and systems and applications that perform a large part of the DHS mission. We also have substantial work within the DHS CISO office, and that makes it very relevant to this conversation today, as well as work within the CISA agency, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. And then a number of other contracts across all the components. So, you know, this issue of CMMC is near and dear to our work, especially with recent events and the cyber breaches that have occurred within our federal government. And so we are oftentimes pulled into conversations around the security of the infrastructure and networks associated with DHS directly. But even as a large business like ourselves who have substantial work also with the Department of Defense, it it makes it very relevant for us to ensure that we are securing the supply chain and doing our part in securing the supply chain, supporting DHS. So very important to us. We think it's critical to national security to have at least what they call phase one of the CMMC credentials in place. 
but moving towards phase three. And we can talk about that more as we proceed through this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Seth, do you have a perspective on it as well? Yeah. So Arden mainly focuses on geospatial information, cloud migration, and DevOps for federal, state, and local businesses. And some of our contracts fall in under DHS, you know, Secret Service, Coast Guard, and FEMA. And our focus on CMMC really boils down to really two facets. One is our concern with our personal business security, you know, looking at all the things that have happened throughout this year and previously, it's really easy to see where a company could get caught up in losing all their all their data. So when it comes down to security, we're focused on that. And the other side of it too is you look at different things like the F-35 and the J-20, we really want to make sure we're not the source of a leak. So our focus to really, for CMMC, is to really try and um, tighten things up. For a small business like us, we really have to look at thinking that we would probably be a target because, you know, some of the larger businesses have more resources. So if I was to attack a business trying to get government information, you would think a small business like us would be an easy backdoor. Yeah, absolutely. Can both of you dive into some of the big security concerns that you think CMMC is adequately addressing that you deal with in your contracts? So Kate, it's not just the contracts that are of concern. It is actually your internal business functions, as Seth was just describing, making sure that you have the proper security controls across your own businesses, networks, and systems. So it's things like for Prospecta, do we have multi-factor authentication on our systems? Do we have business policies around locking your desktop? These are some of the basic controls. Do we have some type of audit and logging system on our network so we know who's been in the network and who's not been in the network? Do we control and manage physical access for devices? Are we inside a firewall? And what constraints have we put around firewalls? There are actually, so for phase one of CMMC, there are 17 basic controls, many of which I just mentioned. If you move to phase three, there are 130 controls that you must have in place. To be deemed a secure company that can perform you know, secure work for DOD or Homeland Security or GSA or whatever agency deems that significant. Some of the items specifically that we are dealing with quite a few incidents are like spear phishing. We have had an insane number of spear phishing attempts this year. And, um, you know, looking at that, it's one of the things that we really have focused on. I think CMMC is going to help us achieve preventing it. And there's a couple of reasons why. But the other thing that we've looked at is CMMC brings up a lot of questions when it comes to work from home. A lot of our remote work policies are now outdated because of COVID. You know, they just don't make sense because we were previously talking about a handful of people and now we're talking about our whole organization. And with that being said, multi-factor, especially with privileged accounts, has now become something we have to really think about because originally the local, local network access wasn't really an issue because people were in the office. But now we're having to figure out how to do multi-factor for local network access outside of our, you know, office. Yeah, that's really interesting what you said about how old telework practices because of COVID are now considered outdated. 
Can you kind of dive into that a little bit more? Maybe provide some examples and how your organization is ramping up cybersecurity because of COVID? Sure. I mean, there's a couple of really simple ones, but within our office, we have a clean desk policy. It's something really simple. It's not a really complex policy, but at the end of the day, how do you transfer that to home? How do you transfer to make sure that somebody is not leaving CUI, laying out on their desktop and walking away? So there's some things we can work with that with like, you know, screen timers, if you will. But in the day, we still have to figure out how we would do that. One of the ISO 27001 things we ran into this year when we were going through our audit was that they're like, well, how are you conducting audits for your clean desk policy? And we're like, I don't know, how would we even do that? So there's a lot of silly little things like that that you think, okay, it's not a big deal, but at the same time, it's still a risk that you're taking moving to 100% work from home. That's a really good example, Seth, of just a basic policy that you have to sort of look at differently um, with people working at home. But there's other things like most of us are using some type of teleworking tool like Microsoft Teams or Skype or Zoom or like the Zencaster system. And you have to make sure that those tools are deployed on systems that have been authorized for use. So how do you do that? Well, as a company, we've deployed laptops or some type of mobile device for our employee base so that they can have the ability to work from home and not compromise our systems because they may be working on their own unsecured desktop or laptop. We've had to strengthen our VPN capability, uh, virtual private network capability, so that you know it can reach more people. There's a scaling factor that we've had to adjust to, but also to the point of multi-factor authentication, making sure that our employee base has the proper tokens and credentials to get into systems away from home. So those are a few examples. There's a number of other areas that we've had to adopt and change to maintain the security of the networks. Because it can go the other way, too. There's a lot of our employee base that need to have access to their customers' networks. Well, you have to have a little bit of flexibility in the way you control your own corporate network to allow for that. And there's techniques that are deployed to make that work. But we certainly, you know, it's a learning process. And uh, we're constantly adjusting to the demands of the workforce. For sure. Rocky, you mentioned that supply chain security is very important to your organization. And that's something that CISA has really been pushing for a while now. And obviously, ICT, supply chain security, is all over the news right now because of the SolarWinds hack. Can you talk about some of the ways that your organization is enhancing ICT supply chain security and how you're working with DHS regarding supply chain security as well? Yeah, sure. I'll talk about a couple different ways. One is how we work with our suppliers. And there's different types of suppliers. There's hardware and software suppliers. There's also, you know, labor-based suppliers, our subcontractors. Well, one of the rules within the DOD phase three CMMC credential is that a large prime must ensure that their subcontractors have at a minimum of level one CMMC certification. So the onus of that is on the prime. So as a large business, we have to ensure that our subs, you know, if we're going to choose a sub to be on our team or they want to be on our team, they're going to have to have those credentials now. And so that actually is a benefit of this kind of policy going in place that we can ensure that at least our subcontractors are following some type of cybersecurity protocol. 
there's also the supply chain of the systems you use. I mean, the defense industrial base, a large part of it, have connections into uh, network connections into the DOD and into DHS. Well, you don't want a vulnerability in a contractor's network to be exploited, like Seth was discussing, and used as a way to get into a federal network. So you have to have some way of verifying that the equipment you're putting into your corporate infrastructure is free from harm and is patched properly. And this is where CISA, DHS CISA comes into play because they offer that service to the rest of not only the government, but also to the corporate contracting community for support. So we abide by all those standards and policies, and we have a dedicated team that stays alert to any changes that are deemed necessary from CISA. But it's very important because our these nation-state actors have figured out ways to exploit you know, our government, and we have to be on the front line with our government to protect its interest. Yeah. Seth, do you have a perspective on that? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to supply chain, one of the things that we really had to look for is, while we may not be quite as large as Rocky's company here, we are um, still looking at our subcontractors as well. And we look at even some of our equipment suppliers. One of the concerns that we've had specifically this year is checking to the manufacturer for malicious code and spyware associated with actual hardware. Like I think cameras was one of the issues we had specifically this year. One of the manufacturers of cameras that we were looking at ordering had been flagged for having some spyware attached to their actual hardware on the camera. So built-in spyware. What were the cameras for? Were those laptop cameras or? No, it was some security cameras we had been looking at installing our main offices in Tulsa. Wow. And it hadn't even occurred to me, but luckily our head of IT had said, hey, wait a minute, where did those cameras come from? And we looked back and sure enough, that company had been flagged. Wow, that's kind of scary. Could you guys talk a little bit about the expectations for phase one of CMMC and how you see yourselves meeting those standards? I mean, those are supposed to be the basic standards, right? And how you see contractors in general meeting those standards, those basic cyber hygiene standards? Sure. I mean, looking at them, I see that these basic standards are something that everybody should really be compliant with. You know, they're really simple. And for the most part, there's really nothing in there that's a heavy lift for a company to comply. These are things that they're the bare minimum to do a great job or just to even get a start towards a great job of protecting your company. Yeah, they are extremely basic measures. The thing about phase one is that it's a self-testation, meaning you just have to proclaim that you've achieved it with no verification. And so the worry is that that can't last long because, you know, at some point someone's got to come in and audit it or at least see your documentation to support it which is what you're getting into when you move to phase two and phase three. So achieving phase one is rather straightforward. There's 17 controls that you have to do, but every company should be thinking about moving to phase two and phase three so that they can get the official certification from the government. I mean, to be a prime and the DOD when this is in place, you'll have to achieve a level three audit by an external audit by 2025. So it will become mandatory to get to that audit phase for every company who wants to support DOD. And what DHS wants to do is sort of follow that same time frame. 
That's my understanding, at least. So the implication there is that, you know, if you want to be a prime at DHS, you'll have to have phase three approval by 2025. Yeah, that's actually my next question, which is, has DHS been communicating with contractors like you guys about CMMC requirements and kind of what they're thinking about following DOD's lead in that regard? I mean, they publish some public articles and they participate in some of the uh, CMMC forums that many of our companies are part of. We actually speak on these forums. We have some representatives from Perspecta. And one of the reasons is because we are working to become what's called a third-party assessor organization, 3PAO. So we participate in a lot of panels and forums. It's not me. I'm not the expert in it all, but there's others. And DHS is part of those forums. And they've absolutely shared their desire to move towards uh, CMMC. And for the straightforward reason that they are part of the nation's infrastructure, responsible for protecting the nation's infrastructure, and they have a huge national security mission set. So it makes sense for them to go in that direction. That's my thought, at least. Yeah, I think that you're spot on there. While we haven't seen any direct communication, we've definitely seen them be part of forums and put out some communications towards saying that that's what they're going for. I don't see any scenario where they're not going to be part of CMMC. Yeah, matter of fact, you know, um, the U.S. Coast Guard is a component within DHS, of course, and U.S. Coast Guard rides on both the DHS networks and the DODEN, the Department of Defense network. They're absolutely moving in the direction to enforce CMMC requirements on future RFPs. I fully expect Coast Guard to be leading the way on this. That's really interesting. That actually makes a lot of sense because Coast Guard is kind of in this weird like middle position between DHS and DOD. And they have so much overlap, especially when it comes to IT functioning, for example. I mean, just because most recently they got on board with the DHA's electronic health records system. So I guess that makes sense. That's really interesting. My next question actually is kind of related to something you mentioned, Rocky, about becoming a third-party auditor for CMMC. Can you guys describe what the CMMC assessment process would look like and how you expect those audits to go in the future, especially as we're coming up on that 2025 goal? So here's how I understand it, Seth, and feel free to jump in. Phase one went into effect on November 30th. And that is basically everybody can send in to the, there's a board that's collecting the database that contains everyone that's claimed CMMC status. You send them into the system to attest that you've reached phase one. Phase two, which is happening right now, my understanding just went into effect on the 15th, is the effort by this collections agency, the, the DOD assessment board, to audit and verify your self-attestation, meaning they will look at your documentation. And that's going on right now. Phase three is the actual audit. Those audits, the first wave, they're basically doing some pilots. First wave, were they were actually announced yesterday. They're auditing a few programs in the Navy and the Air Force. They're selecting very few companies to come and audit starting in the spring. We have been selected, so we will receive our audit in the March timeframe. And so that's going to continue to roll out across industry. In fact, there's no one that's become a C3PAO yet, 
However, there's about 100 professional assessors that have been trained. So these people who have been trained will go out and you know be the independent assessors for companies like ours and for for SES when you're ready to go. But you got to get through the phase two. They got to look at your documentation, then they determine whether or not they're ready to come evaluate you. Rocky, as I understand it, they also are looking to go through and maybe reevaluate some of the standards and the processes after this first wave. Is that how you understood it? Yeah, Seth. They're going to self-correct some of the thing, decisions that have been made along the way. So that'll be sort of an iterative approach to making this work. Because you got to remember, Kate, this is very expensive, by the way. You know, companies are investing a lot of money, you know, and money is relative. The amount of money we spend is a big investment. And it's, you know, the same relative nature applies to the SES company and everyone in between. But the, who bears the cost of that? I mean, we are we follow cost accounting standards and, you know, that's reflected back in our rates. And the government's aware of this. DHS is very aware of this. They're wondering the implications of the cost of asking companies to do this. And so that's part of the panel discussions. It's part of these pilot programs. It's part of this iterative process to determine if they've gone overkill or not with the controls that are being applied. And um, industry has to provide feedback to make this efficient and effective for the government as a whole. It's interesting you brought that up. Definitely cost is something we're very concerned with when it comes to this. Being a smaller company, it does seem the cost is a little bit larger when you actually consider as a percentage of what we're doing business-wise. Some of the things that we've really been concerned about specifically going forward is what third-party options will be available. Like, For example, GCC High is one of the ways to comply with some of the Level 3 requirements. However, there's quite a bit of cost associated with that. And jumping in with two feet, not knowing exactly what our requirements and where our company falls on that list is something that we're not really prepared to do yet. So as we prepare to get audited later on, we're doing everything we can up into a point and then looking at it and saying, okay, let's see what comes back from these initial first round of audits and see if they make any major changes or make any changes, especially affecting small businesses, and then go from there. Yeah. How do you see cost affecting contractors going forward, especially as this becomes implemented across the .gov landscape? Seth was just sharing. It's going to impact all contractors who want to do business with DOD and DHS and GSA. I keep mentioning GSA because GSA has already stated they're going to add its requirements into some of their procurements. And so companies have to bear that cost. It's very similar to the way they did for things like CMMI, right? You had to figure out a way if you wanted to compete. So, you know, things get more efficient over time in businesses, but the upfront cost generally is a lot higher than people think it to be. So companies are having to budget for it right now. They're having to sacrifice some other investments potentially to reach these goals. You know, and they weigh the co- they do a cost-benefit analysis too. No one's going to argue that it's important to have a secure environment. I mean, that's pretty obvious to most people. But, you know, to what extent do you have to apply those controls is where the argument comes into play, which is why also DCMA and the DIBCAC, and, you know, they want to evaluate this process through a few pilot programs and have that industry feedback. Yeah. And to that point, when it comes to talking about looking at the actual practices and how they apply, one of the interesting things I see about CMMC that is dissimilar to CMMI 
is that we're looking at a pass-fail criteria. There is no, well, yes, you did comply with everything, but this, clearly you're trying to do that. It's a yes or no. And I'll be curious to see how some of that plays out in these initial audits. So can you guys talk a little bit more about the investment that CMMC requires from government contractors and how that might affect competition for government contracts in the future? Sure. From from a small business standpoint, looking at some of the investments, we really have to think hard about what level we wish to attain and the contracts associated with it. There's almost a bit of a catch-22 because there's a significant enough investment that you really have to have a contract lined up that you're going to go after for it to be worthwhile. But then the other side of that is, at that point, you're almost too late. It takes too long to get certified. So, because right now the CMMC AB is talking about a six-month window between seeking certification and being certified. So that's what definitely a concern. Right. Your perspective on that? Well, there's always a cost. Um, and I think every company recognizes that and it should flow into your normal business cycle of making these doing a cost benefit analysis. You know, going from basic security controls to what's required 100 plus controls with phase three plus the cost of an external audit, which is being debated on whether or not on who pays for that must be factored into your budget. And depending on the size of your company, you know, it's relative to the size of the investment. Most large companies have more than one network, for example. So you have to make the determination of how many networks you want to audit. And in doing so, you have to partition that in the way you bid these contracts because the requirement is for DOD and DHS, will be for DHS, that you're bidding out of the entity that's under those controls. So you have to weigh it, put all those factors into place. Typically, these types of things go into some type of corporate investment. So for companies that are governed by cost accounting standards, typically those will be returned back to the government, especially on cost plus contracts. So, you know, who bears the cost? You know, the government understands that they will have to have the burden. They know that, uh, I'm pretty sure, and at least I've heard it in some of the forums, they know that the cost of providing a service could potentially go up. It's very similar to the days when companies first invested in CMMI for software development. There's an initial upfront cost, and then companies became more and more efficient over time. I think that's sort of what's going to happen here. We're also going to assess the validity of all the controls, whether some are truly necessary in the environment. And that's part of the pilot that will be going on over the next several months. So could you guys talk about what you consider to be some of the biggest security concerns with IT supply chains and government IT systems in general right now? I think that from our perspective, the things that we're really concerned about are protecting CUI. We have, in our history of organization, had some CUI and definitely have taken measures to make sure it's safe. But um, CMMC really illustrates to us how much more effort really should be applied to making sure that CUI, not only government CUI, but our internal CUI is really secured. Clearly, it's in the news with what's going on with solar winds and the likes. I, I mean, the biggest issue is the way firewalls work today, you essentially set 
policies and rules and firewalls that allow certain information in and certain information out. Over time, what happens is you, you make exceptions to policies and rules and you create more and more, I guess, holes in the firewall. And that creates vulnerabilities in your infrastructure. And, you know, you got to think about it in a multi-layered uh, security posture. You got to think about protecting a device. You got to think about protecting applications, about protecting the network. There's thoughts around micro perimeters and macro perimeters within the cybersecurity front. So I think our government agencies are wrestling with that every day, especially when you introduce new software in the environment. You know, when you introduce public cloud environments, there's different considerations that our agencies are having to deal with. And so those are the things they're dealing with. And it's not different to what we as a private corporation has to deal with. The same exact challenges, right? How do we secure our devices? How do we secure our networks, our applications, the people that are accessing all of those systems? And we should be in lockstep with our federal government. This is a, if you think about it, you know, traditional battles and wars were typically fought by our government. This cyber war is a fight being fought by everyone. Everyone is participating. And, and to the extent to which that we can help contribute to that, we will and we should. And uh, I think we have to, this is a total nation type of event where we have to work together to figure out how to protect our nation's most critical assets. Yeah, Rocky, I love that perspective about how this is a cyber war that needs to be fought by everyone with government contractors, private sector, public sector working together. I think that's a really great perspective. And speaking of solar winds, are either of you able to comment on the solar winds hack within the context of CMMC, kind of offer some insight as to what this means for IT supply chain security in the federal government going forward? I'm going to let Rocky take the lead on this one, but I do have a thought that looking at the publicity that's surrounded it, I think that we're going to see a lot more emphasis on cybersecurity coming from the government and probably even from private sectors just because of the size of this particular breach. Well, sort of playing off my last comment, SolarWinds, the Orion product, it's an ITESM platform, and it's used by many, many enterprises, not just federal government. It's used by you know, state and local entities. It's used by universities, Fortune 500 companies. It's used across our entire IT stack within the U.S. infrastructure. So, you know, we're all, everyone's heightenly aware about what the issue is, and we're all taking the protective steps and actions to not only dissect what happened, but also put the patches in place to restore our infrastructure, but also looking at what we can do to prevent it from occurring again. There's a lot of information out there, and I don't want to speak out of term out in front of the, what the government wants to share, but we know that it's going to take a long time for us to figure out how to, what I think is recover from the impact of this, understanding what the impact is and how to prevent it from occurring in the future, which is, again, why we must work together with the government on problems such as these moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So those are actually all of the questions I have today. Do you have any final comments that you would like to add about IT supply chain security, the current threat environment, government contracting, and CMMC in general? Yeah, I mean, looking at this, 
To me, the biggest benefit of CMMC, especially to a small company like mine, is it really provides a nice roadmap. You know, whether or not you attain maturity level five, you still look at all the practices and say, you know what, that one applies to what we're doing. We need to really look into that. And I think that the CMMC standard is something that I really appreciate from that aspect. I'll just say that, um, you know, I think the actions associated with CMMC are the necessary steps that our government and industry base need to take in order to continue to be proactive about our cyber footprint and take preventative measures such that, you know, we protect our national assets. I think it's absolutely necessary. We have to work through as a country and as a contracting base the costs and implications of implementing CMMC, but those are hurdles I think we can overcome and learn from, and uh, I think it's all for the greater good. So looking forward to any follow-up questions or um, having this continuous dialogue. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for your time today. I really appreciated your insight about CMMC and all of your comments about how government contractors will be affected and especially how this is a team effort. Thank you. As Rocky and Seth said, the first phase of CMMC is not a heavy lift, but by 2025, federal contractors will face external audits to ensure their cybersecurity practices are adequate. DHS and DOD contractors, in particular, may need to achieve much higher levels of CMMC certification to work with the federal government. But CMMC can provide a roadmap to stronger cybersecurity so that federal contractors and agencies are empowered to protect their IT infrastructure. At the end of the day, CMMC is just the beginning of a new effort to enhance federal cybersecurity. To hear more about what's happening in the constantly evolving world of federal cybersecurity, subscribe to Cybercast and stay up to date on the latest cyber trends and insight. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.